0: Today, we have one of the premier brand marketers in the world, Robert Zajac. He has spent time in an executive role at Nike ESPN. He helped oversee LeBron and Kobe's shoe lines and is now the SVP of global marketing and experience at Hollister, where he also oversees the Gilly Hicks brand, as well as Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio's new clothing line, Social Tourist. I learned a ton today about storytelling and brand building, and I think you're gonna enjoy it too. Remember, if you enjoyed the show, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Enjoy the show, guys. Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thanks so much for taking out the time today. Hey, thank you for having me. Very exciting. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, whenever I interview a guest, the thing that I've found, like, everybody has a superpower in the world, right? Something that they just know better than everybody else. And as I kind of dove into your background, I think that specifically your expertise in marketing brands that are connected to individuals, right, as well as this kind of broad understanding of brand marketing, storytelling, and then really sports marketing, very specifically you had a long career in that as well, um, is something I'm just fascinated by. I like so, so many questions about this kind of area of marketing, because honestly, you're the first, the first guest. Well, I shouldn't say that I interviewed Steve, yep. uh, but other than Steve, the first guest have really gotten to ask questions about this. And I think you have the basketball side, which is quite different than what he focused on. So before we get into those elements, right? So this kind of the sports marketing and brand storytelling, you know, today you are the global SVP of brand marketing and experience um, for the Hollister brand at Abercrombie & Fitch, um, as well as Gilly Hicks and Social Tourist. Which are two kind of really cool up and coming brands that we'll get to talk about um but when i looked at that i saw that you joined in may of 2020 which is like a pretty bold move making like a career change right as like the whole world is changing um so i'd love to hear kind of what the motivation was you know what what excited you about the opportunity one and then second would be you know what the last year and a half has been like because obviously hollister um, is the big brand within those three. Right. Um, and a big part of their, I think, footprint and the way that they gain awareness is through foot traffic and in-person experiences. So how have you guys pivoted a brand that was kind of very much built off of in-house or in-person experiences to a brand that, you know, um, is doing well kind of in a new new era, new time period?
1: Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, it, it, it certainly has been different um and i think you know the, yeah. the the it's been different because of the way that you set up the the question you know the making that move uh, right at the beginning of uh of of really the beginning of a global pandemic so i joined um really just after everyone got kicked off of campus got kicked off of the Abercrombie campus covid shook the world um and really started to shut down retail everywhere right starting to shut down retail across uh across all different brands across all different countries um, and it, I, I'll be honest, it made for a pretty wild transition. Um, and I think the first big part of it was, I, you know, I was working with a team um, that I'd never met in person. So I'd had a chance to to meet with key counterparts uh, and people across the organization, but my my team, the the people that you know matter the most to me now, um, I'd never actually gotten a chance to meet with. So before I started, um, I had a chance to meet with them um, after they'd announced that that i was moving into this role um and my first 18 months were uh were all virtual um and i, I never actually set foot on uh on campus until just this past summer so oh, just wow. just that i think it's you know i keep i keep saying over and over again i'm so i'm so fascinated by the fact we're living uh like probably one of the most interesting business case studies that's going to be written for over the course of decades you know where anyone who's yeah absolutely right. and anyone who's working in this environment who's leading teams in this environment uh, who's managing through uh, I, I don't think anybody really has been able to avoid it right disruptions in business disruptions in business cycles in transportation and freight in retail um so it, that that was really the first the first 18 months um, of the role was was building up that rapport with the team a lot of teams meetings um, and you know, it's it's almost a double whammy it was it was it was Trying to trying to to, to become a member uh, of this great team, but also trying to navigate through um, a retail landscape where all the like you said, all the stores were closing. Um, a lot of the traffic was gone, um, and pivoting uh, really big businesses um, into into a digital direction uh, almost overnight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, I- and what were some of the things from a digital perspective
0: that you think were you know that worked really well, right? Because Again, you've got to you've got to build awareness in a totally different way than the brand has historically, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think the first big part was um, I I have to I have to say like the 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 organization from a strategic leadership point of view was already very much in that space um, of you know evolving for the future, um, building a digital transformation across every part of the organization, right? Whether that's across the marketing teams um, from an infrastructure, UX, CX. and I think the, the, a the, the, honestly, the capacity and the ability of the team was, was second to none um, overnight. Right. They, they came into campus one day, the next day they were at home. They had to learn how to to do all this work um, remotely. Then they had to learn how to deal with a new boss that they'd never met before. Um, and then they had to pivot all the plans, yeah. you know, like building annual plans and seasonal plans. And they had to pivot all those like reassigned budgets um, figure out where to put the the resources. Figure out how to adjust creative. Uh, there were campaigns in place uh, that had already been like uh, conceptualized and and for the most part built out that were all about being together um, and enjoying each other's company. Um, and I think a lot of that a lot of that pivot was was enabled by the the fact that we're so focused on Gen Z. And that was a big change, right? Like mm-hmm. especially Hollister um, is I mean obsessively focused on Gen Z. Um, and that means that like, our, yeah. like our insights engines are all built around Gen Z, which means they're all inherently digital. So, you know, um, yeah, things that might've have, upset, have I think other brands, other organizations back, like the, like our, our set of brands already had a, an online research community that had 50 over 1500 Gen Z consumers in them. Um, we were already talking to them digitally. We were already running digital focus groups. We were already like, um, gathering insights and running ideas by them. So a, a lot of the pivots and the plans were, were made easier by the fact that we were already set up from an insights perspective, uh, with, with this really powerful engine. Um, and then, you know, the, the I think the other big pr- part of the pivot was, um, Gen Z is inherently digital, right? There we, we, it's, 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 it's kind of yeah. the most common and rote thing to say, but, um, building plans to go where they already are, um, whether that's across and a lot of the the, the platforms that you talk about all the time, right? TikTok and Instagram, um, working uh, more closely with Snap. Um, so a, a lot of those pivots were already made a lot easier because that's where Gen Z naturally moved to when when the world shut down.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny to think about kind of, one of the things that's really interesting for me is like I worked at Abercrombie and Hollister when I was in like high school, you know, yeah. like work was like the first retail job I had. Yeah and um it's weird to think about kind of as a brand that means that you're going through like constant reinvention right because if you want to stay if that's a consumer base that you're targeting and working with you know it's not the same like i'm not there anymore right like i don't buy mm-hmm. Hollister anymore that's not my like on my age group and so how do you kind of and that age group moves really fast mm-hmm. right like that things change very very quickly um so so when you're talking about these kind of consumer insights, I think you'd mentioned in other interviews that kind of unearthing consumer insights was something that you learned, particularly during your first kind of eight years or so on the advertising yeah. side. But um, talk to me about that group of 1500, and talk to me about what are some of the ways that you figure that out, right? Like how do you how do you stay cool? How do you stay how do you stay relevant with a, an age group that? Graduate high school every four
1: years. Yeah. right? Oh, it's 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 interesting. I think you know, like you said, um, even taking it back a, a, a couple steps further, um, one of the things that's so interesting and why I love this this industry so much, right? Is you even going back to uh, to college, which is going way back, um, but you know, like the the start of a lot of the this kind of obsession with with consumers, which is so important now, right? And I think you know, I'll be I'd be lying if I said that my team uh, and the people around me don't try and uh, keep me young, which is I'm very thankful for. Um, but, uh, you know, like even going back to, to college, like I was an anthropology major. Um, and, and at the end of the day, like that idea of, of obsessing what makes people think, um, and obsessing, not just like, um, not just, not just what people think, but why they think that. Um, and, and I think there's, you know, that has kind of led to, um, that's led to a I don't know the last twenty years of of constantly being uh checking in on consumers. I think I'm still a big big believer as much as possible of observing um, observing what people actually do um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. not what they say, but what they actually do yeah and so like we right now we have like i said we have so we have a couple of great things we have this this online community uh, across the u s and u k um, we have a brand agent program, um, which is, a, a high school kids all over the country that are actually part of our brand. Um, and we use them a, a number of different ways. Okay. One is to, to uh, always gathering insights, asking them questions. Um, and they're kind of our, our, our eyes and ears on the ground, um, um, in high schools specifically. Right. So that's like right at that, that sweet spot of, of Gen Z right in the middle. Um, Yep. But yeah, I, I, I always kind of come back to this idea of like whenever possible to, to observe uh, and making sure that we we understand what's happening in in real time with people, right? Whether that's market visits, store visits, um, being with, with consumers in their native environments. Um, you know, you mentioned going back to, to back in the day, but I remember one of the most interesting pieces. Um, I, and again, like these kind of unlocks, right? These ahas for me. I don't know. If, hopefully they're interesting for, for other people. Um, we had yeah. this client that um, didn't like any of the work we were doing. This is back when I was in advertising. Um, and they were a, they were a package good. They were food uh, package good. And they didn't like any of the work we were doing. Because uh, it didn't work. So they liked the work. <laughs> right? They liked the work and they bought the work and we made the work and then it didn't work. Um, and finally, yeah, yeah. you know, we said, what are we, we're listening. We, we, we do all this focus groups. We do the study. We're, we're testing the packaging. We're running ads by people. What is happening? And... <laughs> and honestly, finally, we went to the, we went to the grocery store and it was a, a, a low key, a little creepy. Um, but like, we just, sat. <laughs> like we sat in the grocery store in the pasta sauce aisle for a half a day. And we just, and we watched people, we watched moms and dads come in and families come in and they would walk through and they would go through and they would pick up the, the, the product and they'd look at it. And then they'd look at the price and they'd put it back and they would do it. Uh, over and over and over again. And it's so interesting, like this idea of insights. It's not just like on a consumer level because we took, we, 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 you know, we asked people too. we said, Hey, like uh, we work for, you know, we work for this advertising agency. Notice you picked up this product. Why did you put it back? And they're like, Oh, we, you know, my kids love the, my, my kids love that product. But like, you know, we're on a budget for meals and, and this is just, it doesn't enable us to like, this is just too expensive to, to get all the pieces. So we can choose this. one. And we took that back to the client and we said, Hey we spent a day in a grocery store and we know why it's a, it's a price thing, right? Like it's, we're, we're talking to a certain family in a certain way, but the price is not in line with that. And they didn't believe us. And they're like, no, we've, we've done all the pricing. Mm. Like, and I understand a lot more now that I'm on, on the client side as well, but they're like, no, we've done all the pricing analytics. We've done all the metrics. We know exactly like how much to cost, This is the margin. This is how much we should be pushing the product for. And in the end, we took them to the grocery store and gave them $10. And said, "You need to buy a meal for four. Like go. There, I think there were like eight or nine of them. Yeah. We said, like go and buy. Just go buy things. Make, get your sauce and get the pasta and get everything else and bring it back and then check out. Um, and none of the eight came back with their own sauce in hand the because they couldn't actually buy it. They couldn't afford it. They couldn't put the full Thank meal you. together. And they all came back with like a like a different kind of the product that they were trying to sell. Um, and so I just I, I I I love coming back to that story because I feel like that's." When you feel like you've exhausted qualitative, quantitative, you've researched, you've talked at the end of the day, like going and observing how people use or don't use your product and what they like, how they actually like feel about it when they see it, I think is, is so invaluable. And it keeps coming up over and over again. I was, I was really young and it was in a different country, but um, yeah, I keep coming back to that story.
0: Yeah. I'm jealous because I feel like we, I mean, obviously we're a software company, so we can watch Every click and everything, and you know, that gives us a lot of insights. Um, but I can't like sit behind somebody's back and watch them like click around, right? And I think, I mean, they're getting there with some of the like, there's track, you know, uh, mouse tracking software and stuff, but it's a little different. Um, what's interesting also about that story is like, you couldn't do that with Hollister, right? At least for a while, like you couldn't, right. which is like,
1: gotta be really tough. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely, so. it definitely made. And again, I got, you know, it it definitely made our ability to go back in and leverage some of the tools that we already had in place, um, uh, digitally a lot, a lot easier, right? Because the, again, going in store visits and product visits and actually like talking to people and watching them try things on and experience what the store is like. Um, yeah, that was a hard one to replace.
0: Yeah, Totally. Well, let's so let's go back in your career, okay. right? So we talked about you spent eight years in advertising. Yeah. Talked about some of the learnings there. Um, then you transitioned to ESPN, and you had a bunch of different really cool jobs at ESPN, right? Whether it was the X Games, you had the whole kind of racing mm-hmm. circuit, NASCAR, IndyCar. You did tennis for a while. Then you did fantasy. Did the whole digital thing. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that was interesting for me when I looked at your background was you talked a lot about storytelling when it came to ESPN. And the reality is that all of those things, you know, come down to ESPN as a publisher, right? And ESPN's job is to tell a story and to get people excited and keep them entertained. Um, and obviously that's the skill set. I would imagine that you kind of have pulled, pulled with you, right? So when you think about storytelling and some of the lessons that you learned there, like what, what did you observe? What was it that you've like drawn with you about, about that kind of skill set?
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things. It's something I've always, I, I think I've always wished I was better and better at. Um, and that's, I guess that's probably like the first, I don't know, first observation or first two that pull out is I like, um, good storytelling, like really good, compelling storytelling is really hard. <laughs> like that. And, and, you know, I say that cause I think it's a rare talent that can, that can, um conceive, build, and tell a story by themselves, especially in the world of of marketing, advertising, brand building. Um, so I guess the core truth about uh, good storytelling is I think it's a team sport. And I, I like, and I feel like I feel like good storytelling is a team sport. And I, I feel like as soon as I realized that, uh, which was again, I, I, it was at ESPN, right? Because coming out of the world of advertising, there were copywriters and art directors. And they would build the story and they would yep. give me the story. And then I have to go sell it to a bunch of people that had no part in building the story. Um, it's different these days, mm-hmm. right? That was a while ago, but yeah, like um, at, at ESPN, um, finding a way to bring different and disparate streams of creativity and perspective and point of view together into one cohesive narrative uh, always makes for a better story. I think it, it like, and so I think that, you know, there's a lot of things I can slap that team sport uh, moniker onto, but I think storytelling is, is maybe at the at the root of it, right? At ESPN, we worked with amazing agency partners, um, and those agency partners were were always open to to letting us have be a part of the conversation, um, which was the first aha moment for me. It was like, oh, I get to be part of this, right? As a client, I, as a as a marketer, I get to be part of telling the story. We worked with amazing executive producers, right? People that lived and breathed all these sports. They were were on the ground all the time. They knew all the, the insights, athletes and insights of the fans. Um, uh, and we worked some of the best writers in the world and and, and when it all came together is, is when it was, when, when it turned into gold. Um, and I think that's like, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that gold was probably like, I don't know if truth, truth number two, I think, I think in three, so I might try and pull out a third, but like truth, um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like truth number two is like the, the, the best times, the best stories we told immersed to people in a world authentically, right? Like, and, and, building stories from your own experience right this kind of goes back to the consumer insights building stories from your own experience always helps the team i saw a great quote and i, I can't remember where it's from but it was basically like you know when you're in a situation and you feel a certain way the best stories make someone else feel that same way you know they, um, yeah. they yeah, yeah yeah and without them being there and that's like that's an amazing art right that's an amazing skill when you can um get sounds and smells um and a feeling communicated through a piece of work whether it's a piece of writing or a piece of film um so like the the what's so interesting is like the um like we had this uh when i worked on nascar um we, yeah. so, have you ever been to a race no but i really want to i've
0: heard i need to sit in the infield and like just like breathe it All in fruit. you know what i mean
1: which I like, I really do want to do. Um, but yeah. Keep no, it yeah. So like, the, and that's kind of, that's why I asked it. So like my, the first time when I first started working on motorsports, my, it was my, you know, I was like, this is great. This is super exciting. I need to work on a big sport. It's a big business. Um, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah. I'm very, I'm, I'm this is going to be great. I'm ready. And everyone was like, no, before you start working on this, you have to go to a race. So let's pick a race, which race you're going to go to because you really can't work on the sport until you, at a race. And I was like, I've been to sporting events. I love sports. Um, you know, I've, I've been to football and hockey and basketball. Um, but they're not wrong. Right. And the, the first time you get into a race, like there is, there is nothing like being in the infield and the smells and the sounds and the, the roar of the engines and the flyovers and the people and the noise. And not, like at Daytona, it's like 200 plus thousand people in one place experiencing one, massive cultural and sporting event and like the brief for us was tell that story that full sensory experience and do it through yeah. a marketing campaign right do it through a, a broadcast and a campaign um and that was the brief we charged ourselves with we said how are we going to do this like how do we actually like how do you script a story uh, around something that's so emotional and so visceral um and in the end so we worked with Wyman kennedy um such an amazing they're such an incredibly talented partner of ours um and in the end we actually ended up working with a a documentary documentary film director um named Doug Prey, um and he he kind of he'd done some amazing work like uh kind of uh profiling subcultures I guess um and we said like NASCAR is a kind of a subculture like you have to without being there how do you experience it um and in the end you know we went through the traditional process built out the brief and the plans the budget and Um, scripted out some spots, but I think what really unlocked that, that storytelling is we worked with the director, with the writers, with the agency, with the executive producers of NASCAR. And we just went to Daytona for a week and we filmed everything. We filmed fans and drivers and flyovers and practice and inside the cars and outside the cars. And in the end, it turned into, it turned into, I think, an amazing campaign um, the, I think the liners feel your heart race, right. Which is again, like tapping right into that emotion of, of the track. Um, but it also turned into a 30 minute documentary that aired on ABC. And it was, it was, it was a, it was a completely accidental, uh, piece of work, but the, 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 what, how we captured it and kind of the rawness of it and the realness of the, the fans, I thought was like one of those times when really good storytelling was told in a very authentic and truthful way.
0: So which is inherently like a super difficult thing. Like I've had my wife constantly complains about it, but when people will put up, you know, a video on Snapchat or on Instagram or whatever of a concert, you're like, this just doesn't feel like I'm at the concert. You know what I mean? Like, so to be able to replicate that experience is incredibly difficult. Um, And as you spoke, the thing I kept thinking about is, you know, there's been a little bit of a phenomenon inside our own company, but then it's happening very, very quickly with um, Formula One and the kind of Netflix yep. series, um, which is I can't even remember the name drive to something. No, yeah, yeah. I can't, it doesn't really matter. But uh, it's like, like, it's gotten the entire country, right? That one series has gotten the entire country into being Formula One fans, which is kind of crazy. And I think that they, as I reflect on it, and I think about that show, you get the the sights, the sounds, the speed, the like. You they they do a really good job of making you feel it, yeah. right? Making you feel that emotion as if you were there on the track, as if you were the driver, as if you were you know one of the pit crew or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I've never heard anybody describe it that way, but it makes so much sense. Well, like as you and say,
1: the, the thing I think you know is so interesting um, about like the the Formula One show or. Um, uh, was HBO's like 24-7, um, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like um, uh, where they go in and document the NFL teams, um, like um, hard, hard Knocks. knocks. Yeah. Like what's so amazing is like going back to, again, casting my memory back, going back to ESPN, like what's so interesting is like there's just a, and I think it's inherently built into good storytelling, right? So you have like this, it's a team sport. You have to be authentic and genuine and really communicate um, like a feeling, but it's also, you know, that was a, a, a super common practice was like for a sport that people maybe don't get into or like formula one is an example um, or a, a game that might not be of interest. It always like, even though it sounds a little, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe not obvious on the surface, but like storytelling also plays such a huge part in that. So when you, you know, the, the reason you see a profile of that um, offensive lineman who came up through college, uh, was at a D three school and then was a walk on. And now he's starting for the first time for insert team that maybe doesn't drive a lot of ratings. It's yeah, it's the same exact, it's the same exact thing, right? It's like, let's communicate a story, a feeling, get a vested interest. Um, so that all of a sudden I want to watch that. I want to watch that game. I want to watch that player. I want to watch number 79. Um, even though I 30 minutes ago, I didn't know that person was playing football. Um, I think it all yeah, kind of comes back yeah. to that same thing of communicating communicating a a point of view and an emotion and trying to get a full sensory experience across that, that matters, that's authentic.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. So then, you know, post ESPN, you go to Nike, which is kind of the mothership of sports, at least when it comes to kind of you know brands. <laughs> um and I'd be really interested to hear your kind of observations on like entering that organization and you got a wide a, you know a ton of different experiences there but it's got to be fascinating to be at what is one of the most you know call it top 10 most recognizable brands in the world um what do you think it is that's given it its longevity right mm-hmm. like what how have they what are the core elements for them from a brand building perspective that you think um, have allowed that to be so sustainable, right? What do they get right? Like why? And it, it's just, there's a, there's an emotion, right? Tied to it. Right. But what is it about them that they
1: really get right? And they do, uh, they do really well. Yeah. It's such a good question. I think, um, I, and I'll try to make this not sound like a, like a giveaway answer. Cause I think there's actually like a really interesting nuance that, that makes it so unique to, to that place. Um, but you, you, you can't answer yeah. that question without starting with the, with the, the people like, they 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 simply yep. hire the just the smartest, uh sharpest, most innovative, kind of strategic thinkers, and they're everywhere. You know, it's it's not, oh well, let's go talk to that group because they're the they're the 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 futurists. No, it's 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 everywhere. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but I think that the so that's the expected answer. Sure, it's like the people are amazing, and they are. I, I think what's such an interesting nuance no, but
0: that's a real thing, right? It, it, That's a, a real thing like we see that. Yeah. We see that. I've seen that in the software industry and you see it in like like we were really big in beauty at first yeah. but like you know there's like L'Oreal is considered like a finishing school, mm-hmm. right? You go there and because you've gone there, you now have the cachet to go and get any job you want, right? And so then what that does is it kind of and 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 the reason for that is the people there are generally very very yeah. good. And so that kind of reinforces itself over time, where because the people are so good at the beginning, it allows you to recruit better and better people over time, um, which then that is what becomes the actual attraction. Right. right. Um, yeah. Anyways, keep no, going. But, yeah. So it's not a cop-out answer at all. It's 100% of real. No, I,
1: it's hard to do it, but it's 100% a real. Well, so it's, it's like um, – I think that's such a, it's, it's a, such a great setup, right? It, it's such a hard thing to do, but I think the – Uh, Going back to your question, right? I think what makes it so unique at Nike is that somehow um, all these all these these very talented people come because of the attraction of the brand, because of the innovation, because of how it's run. There's a long history there, uh, which I think is part of it. But then somehow they they all check their egos at the door. So you have you Mm -hmm. have these like Mm -hmm. incredible uh, talented people come in, um, and then they all somehow find a way that every 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 conversation, every iteration, every collaboration makes these ideas better. Like I think one of the most remarkable things about my time there is that I would say without much hyperbole, there was no finished product, right? Like whether that's a product or an idea or a film Mm -hmm. or an event that wasn't better than the initial idea. And I think like Mm -hmm. that's... I think about the amount of work that goes through a a company that big, a brand that big, that many people touching it. Um, Mm -hmm. Almost everything was better when it ended than when it started. And I think that's like, there's a magic to not only bringing these amazing people together that are all amazing in their own right, right? They're all amazing on their own. If they all started their own company, they would be very, very talented and successful. Then you put them all together. And then somehow the magic of the company or the magic of the brand makes them able to build on each other um, until the end result is always better than the input. And I think like, that's probably the, that's probably the first thing when you ask like, what do they, what do they get right? There's a formula there. And I think that, I think it's like a, a, I don't know, I'll call it a self segue into the next thing. Right. But like, um, I I think it's, I think it's because the brand is, and you said this, right? Like the the brand is bigger than any one person. And I think um, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when you're built on such a clear, and consistent purpose. Um, and you really believe that you go to the office every day. Um, I certainly did. I don't want to speak on behalf of other people. You really believe you go into the office every day and that day is an opportunity to potentially do something that is great or, or impactful or first. Um, and you kind of, Mm -hmm. and, and there's a, there's a formula there, right. That, that works with the first point, get a bunch of talented people, Understand that the brand is bigger than the individual, and then they work together to make great things, and then everyone holds those great things up together, and then they go and do it again. Um, and I think that's you know where that started. I think you can go anywhere back; you can go back to the beginnings, of the origins, and and Shoe Dog. I, I heard you bring it up in a couple uh, in a couple of interviews, um, or the origins of Just Do It. But like I think at the end of the day, like brand marketing is in their DNA, you know. And I think like yeah. that idea of of maybe that's maybe the third thinking threes. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'll dig into that. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to do the I'll same. I'll dig into that someday. Two feels. <laughs> people thinking threes. So it's good to communicate right? Like too. two feels. Two feels yeah. short. Four feels long. Um, but I think yep. I think we, I yep. think it's that like that brand marketing being in their DNA is because marketing is marketing is is, is important. You know, advertising is important, um, but brand is is everything you know, and, and brand is, yep. is holistic. And I think that's how, um, it's a, sum, you know, it's like a summary of everything a consumer touches, right? It's the product, the experience, the stores, the content, the copy, the history. And I think Nike understands that better than, than most, right? Like the, the, maybe that's a part of the secret sauce, um, that, that everyone at Nike works on brand, you know, and, and you're, you're building and, and kind of elevating a, a fairly, I don't know, a fairly secret thing, right? It's a, like building building a brand is a team sport, too. Um, And I think that's at the end of the day, it all comes down to that, like, uh, it's it's, you're all working for a greater good at the end of the day, bigger than you, bigger than us.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it reminds me a lot of so LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton, Moet Mm -hmm. Hennessy, right? Collection of luxury brands, you know, it, but you know, some of the listeners might not. Um, you know, when I ask them, like, what is it that's made them so successful? Because he's now I think the richest person or one of the richest people in the world. Um, Obviously, their collective brands have done really well. And like, they think incredibly long term, and they think very brand first, right. So it's, you know, how, what does this brand look like in 100 years? What does it look like in 50 years? And I think there's a certain expectation of Nike that like, yeah, this, we're building something that's going to be around for another 100 years. And that's the expectation. Um, And that totally changes the way that you think about, you know, uh, marketing, product, all the things that you talked about, right? Because, you know, you can do all kinds of things that help yourself in the short run, um, you know, hit your numbers this quarter or, you know, show a little bit more profitability or, you know, drive direct revenue that can be tracked or whatever it is. Um, but when you think with that kind of long-term lens, um, and you think broader than just, you know, this quarter, um, it can be super powerful, right. But very hard to instill. But once you get there, it's it's really And
1: then, and then strength builds on strength, right. I think that's, I think that's a part of it. And I I think it's that belief too, right. I think it's probably the same at a lot of these, these companies that, that you speak with or interview, like, um, when you walk in every day and you believe that that's kind of what you're working for, like you believe that you're like pushing something that might be valuable in 25 years or 50 years. Um, that definitely is yeah. like, I'm not just putting bricks. I'm not just like laying bricks, right? I'm, I'm actually like building a, a cathedral, you know? And I think there's a big difference between like, yeah. I'm laying bricks and that's okay. That's great. I love doing this. And then doing that with a vision in mind of like, and what what I'm building might not finish like uh, for, for, for 20 <laughs> years. Um but I'm a part of it. And I think there's like, there's a, there's an ethos to that too.
0: Yeah. I just started a really good book series. It's actually centered around, there's a Ken Follett series called, uh, God, what's the name of it? But he like, it's about a cathedral builder. And like, he had done like spy stuff and whatever beforehand. And his, his publishing house was like, I think this is a bad idea. Nobody wants to read a book about like building a cathedral, but then it was by far his most successful book. And it like, you know, it's done, it's, got great longevity. And it's just like, weird when you think about like, hey, I'm going to dedicate like, a big portion of my life to something that's going to last for a really long time. Right? Um, So let's, let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Which is not necessarily the opposite, but just different. Um, You spend a lot of time on brands that are tied to individuals. Whether that was the Kobe brand, the LeBron brand, right? You've got this new brand that you've launched with Charlie mm. D'Amelio, Social Tourist. Um, so, what is it about those brands? Like how how are things different for them, right? Like how do you think about marketing a brand that is so closely tied to an individual kind of persona?
1: Um, what are the what are the core elements there? How is it different? Mm. It's it's interesting. I like I almost I almost start the I almost start that question um, with the with the foundation of how it's not the same, but it's almost like the the I I'll promise I'll come back to that too. But like I almost feel like
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, a, it
1: it almost puts a sharp focus on on like these I don't know core core tenants or core lessons that have come out of of working on something that's like. Um, we used to say, like working with working with uh, working with an athlete like that um, is like flying close to the sun. Yeah, you know, like everything is under mm-hmm. intense pressure, intense scrutiny. Um, everything that is done is is magnified, um, and I think a lot of that because it's a reflection on them as well,
0: right? It goes in both directions. Like right. they're a reflection on the brand, but anything that you do,
1: they're looking at really closely, right? Like they're they're right. The, the well, and, it, and it's funny. I, so I think, I think like the first thing, and it's, it's almost like an answer both at the same time. I think the first one is like you are building something around an individual. Um, but it's the, yeah. it's the expression of the individual. Like we just talked about that is, is almost becomes magnified in its importance. Right. So at the end of the day, it, it's about the product. And I, and I think, you know, I've, I've heard other, other folks that, that you've talked to speak on this, but like when you're working with an athlete, and their livelihood is tied up in the product and their personal stories are tied up in the product. Like you're expressing personal stories from where they grew up, uh, the high school they went to, what their favorite cereal is, um, family members. Um, that, that obsession with products takes on uh, – that's one of the biggest lessons and takeaways for me come, coming just out of that era. And again, you know, I had, a, I had an amazing opportunity to work with super talented people um and really amazing products and i just tried to to learn as much as i could from the experience um but that, that's the first one is like and, and it's not just obsessing the products i mean it's like really getting <laughs> um i had this great i had yeah. this great moment in, early in my days uh at nike which again you know it's it's these little things right like eight months can go by in a blur uh or you can do a 10-day workshop yeah. and then you remember that one thing for 15 years um this is yeah. one of those things, you know, and I, I remember sitting at my desk very clearly, early days, um, working on a deck late night, I don't know, trying to build the next big idea. Um, and one of, the, one of the, the GMs came by, and they had a, this amazing shoe in their hand, and they put it on my desk, and they said, do you know what this is? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know. Duh. And they were, like, <laughs> they, were like, they were like, tell me why this is amazing. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. Like, um, looks like it has this big airbag and it's, the color's amazing. I love the color palette. Um, and I see you put, and that was literally as far as I got. And he was like, cool. He's like, I'm gonna come back in two weeks and I'm gonna bring different products. And I'm gonna ask you why this product is amazing. And I think your answer should be more in depth. Um, and it wasn't done in a mean way at all. It was done in a way that was like, how are you going to tell a story about this product unless you just really, unless you know how it's built, unless you know why the pieces were put into place and why, you know, and I think this this is why I take this one, this one story away into everything I've done since, unless you know why the laces are constructed that way or why the outsole was put on that way or what the pattern on the side means. Um, And I think that's like, that was like such an unlock for me around, Again, working with athletes, where you're you're creating a physical expression of who they are. Um, but just in general, like really, it's it's one thing to say I know the product, and it's another one. I spent, you know, the next two weeks with product line managers and material experts um, down in the innovation kitchen where they test everything. And I just, I'm not gonna say I took two weeks off of doing marketing, but I just took two weeks off and I just walked around campus and I was like, why do you do that? <laughs> why do, why did you build it that way? Why is there how much air is in there? Is that good? Where did it come from? How do, who can I talk to about why you did that? Um, and it was a really a huge unlock for me. Um, so I think that's one thing that it's not, it's, it's not different than I think what everyone should be doing when you really love what you do and love the product and want to be able to communicate that again, authentic storytelling. When you want to be able to tell the story of why that product exists to a consumer, you should be able to build it, you know, or, or try, or fumble around and, and get close. Um, and, and it's just amplified when you're working with these. Well, because those things
0: those things stick around, right? And they're how things spread. Yeah. Like, you know, and it, and it really does come down to, like, it's funny. Like I literally, um, I just bought a pair of shoes. And what's funny is I'd actually asked for a different pair of shoes and they brought out the wrong box. And I liked them, I was like, oh, those are kind of sweet. Like, you do like those. And um, I asked him, I was like, so what are these shoes? And they're like, oh, this is, um, oh my God. Why can't I think of his name right now? famous tennis star on shoes on What's oh, um, yeah. Federer. right? I like, go oh, this is Federer's brand. And like, and uh, yeah, he like, you know, he just got really invested in the product. He said he wanted to create a product that was like walking on clouds, right? And I still remember that phrase. And like, you know, that was something that like, you know, you have 10 seconds, right? You have like one sentence, two sentences. For that person to describe that product to me in a way that helps me sell or helps me connect with it emotionally and then you know i've had like several people comment like oh i really like those shoes i'm like oh yeah it's rogers federer's brand he said he wanted people to feel like they're walking yep. on clouds they're really comfortable i like them and they're like you know they look all right and so um and so you know unless you like understand it right at that yeah. level i think it's really hard to to make that connection yep. right well- and it's, um, and I think your point on, the or sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. Sorry. I interrupted. I was going to say, what's really interesting about the product side of things that you mentioned is we see that really consistently, um, in, in both directions mm-hmm. where you see somebody that like, Decides to launch a brand, they slap their name on it or some logo they came up with it, and they're the face of the brand, and they don't really give a shit. And they're just like there to, you know, collect their royalty check or get a pay, you know, be the sponsored athlete or be the sponsored whatever. Um, but the brands that it truly succeeds in are ones where the individual is deeply interested in that industry, that product, that category. Like in your case, right? Like, how much more could you be interested in something than you're a basketball player? And what shoes are you wearing? Right? Like, what else is there? That's it, right? Like, that's the most important thing, Um, where they're deeply interested in the category, and then deeply involved in the product creation process, right. And so, yeah. It's just really cool to hear that. It's consistent with what we see. And it's
1: what's, I think it's, it's interesting. You know, we talked, we talked a little bit earlier, like that, you know, what, what, it, like what's that secret sauce to, right. Cause it's one thing to be obsessive with product. You have, a, a, there's a lot of amazing athletes out there. Right. Um, I think one of the, it's almost like the, that next big pillar, uh, you know, or like what made it different, um, I guess is, is, was part of your question. Yeah. Well, um, again, kind of comes back to a, an earlier topic, but it's, it's almost the next level of it. Right. Like, the best products, like the ones that, that are, are consistently like lauded by consumers, the ones that sell out the fastest, the ones that are ranked as the the top sneakers of the last decade for this particular person or this particular line, like they all have a personal connection or a lot, most of them have this Mm -hmm. personal connection that, that almost bears a little bit of the athlete's soul to the, to the world, you know, like, Uh, or it's like built on such a, a, a deep insight coming out of, of the personality of the person. So yes, there's like innovation that's built for a certain style of play or a certain way of, of, of navigating through a, through a game. Um, But like, you look back at like the LeBron eight South beach is probably one of the best LeBrons ever made. Um, And it was uh, I think 2010. And it's the year he went to Miami And it was all based on, you know, this incredibly dramatic moment in sports where LeBron went to Miami and that was a colorway of the shoe. And it was based on Miami Knights or like the Kobe five Bruce Lee, which I only remember that because it's a shoe I never got. And I don't have Um, (laughs) like like the the that drawing that connection of, of just authentic, like right into the person like Kobe was a master of his craft. You know, like someone he was really inspired by was Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee wore a, ju- a yellow jumpsuit in Enter the Dragon, and so there was a Kobe Five Bruce Lee that was yellow, like the color of the jumpsuit. And it's just like, like yeah. that depth of storytelling, and and you know, I think you hear things like that on the surface, and you're like that's that's crazy, that's so deep, um, but yeah, that's, like yeah. that's what resonates to consumers, you know, like I like. Another another pair of shoes I don't have, uh, like the the, the AJ One shattered backboard. Um, yeah, it's it's because Michael Jordan played a game in Trieste, Italy, in 1985, and he was wearing his first signature shoe. Uh, I hope I get these details right. And he was wearing like orange, black, and white, and he put yeah. 30 points on the board or 35 points on the board, and one of one of those buckets was shattered the backboard, and it's and now it's a grail. You know, like that story is. However, however, been decades and decades old, Um, but I just find like there's so many interesting lessons in that, right? Like obsessing the product, not like I know it, like I could build it, and therefore I can tell you why it's so amazing. And then, I like that.
0: I can build it, like I could build it. I know if I if we had to recreate this, I could could do it if I had to. Yeah, I could could
1: try. Um, and then and and then and then wrapping that in like I don't know, like like this cultural relevancy. There's a lot of magic there that obviously happens in sneakers and it happens when you have so, so many talented people building products and stories and athletes and everything else. But like, again, I take those and I look and I I find those applicable almost everywhere. When you sit there and you go, I'm, I'm working in X industry and we make a thing. Why does my consumer need that thing? I'm going to go watch them and then I'm going to obsess the thing and figure out how to bring the two together. And then I'm going to tell an authentic story about how it was made or why it's that color or. So I, I think there's so much power coming out of, of working with, you know, with and around athletes like that, because they're the catalyst for, uh, at least they were the catalyst for a lot of that stuff.
0: Um. Well, let's talk about, you know, social tourists specifically. So this is a big launch. You know, it happened, I believe, was it May or when was the exact launch? Yeah,
1: it happened, uh, happened in May this year.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about kind of what it was like to work with Charlie. Obviously, Charlie D'Amelio is one of the largest TikTokers, if not the largest TikToker in the world at this point. Um, How did that process work out? How did you start working with her in the first place? You know, what has been her involvement in the product creation process? Has she helped to recruit other influencers to work with you guys? Um, Tell me that whole,
1: the whole story. So I think the the story starts um, with uh, my team. Um, cause they were, yep. they, they had, had, had cracked this, uh, open, uh, right. I mean, right. As I was starting, they were cracking this open. So, um, COVID, COVID hits, um, big businesses, right. That are, are driving, uh, a lot of revenue through stores are, are pivoting, right. Our businesses are trying to pivot. Um, and one of the big pivots was, yep. you know, how are we going to, how are we going to move significant volume to our digital channels? Um, the, the team yep. And the team already had in place great influencer marketing strategies. They had great digital marketing, DTC strategies, traffic revenue, full funnel, the whole thing. Um, but that was a big shift, mm-hmm. especially for a brand like Hollister. Um, I mean, a lot of revenue tied up in what are we going to do now? That question. And they, yep. they yep. pitched, um, Hey, we should go and work with Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio um, from through the lens of an influencer yep. marketing. Right. So, Um, They can help us drive back to school and holiday. Um, We can create content with them. Um, That was, that was kind of sitting, that pitch was uh, like sitting on the table right when I started. Uh, So you got to give, got to give a, uh, got to give a big shout to them. And, you know, the truth is like, that was a, it was an ingenious move um, by, by the collective, you know, Uh, they came in, we did uh, content, we did content creation. We did the whole photo shoot with them for, for just our regular Hollister back, like work. Um, we did a TikTok challenge at the time that had five, like 5 billion plus views. It was one of the biggest challenges at the time. Had like 1.2 million videos created. Um, and it was all built on the strength of, of their personality, um, their reach, um, you know, their, uh, their energy and their appeal. And it, it went a huge way to, to, to making 2020 into a successful year for the brand. Um, And as, and as all that was happening, you know, in like, we were having this conversation in the background, like this is, they're, they're incredible. Right. And it's not just a very, like, it's, it's definitely the it's Charlie and Dixie are amazing, but their, their whole family, Mark and Heidi, the D'Amelio family, the whole, the whole group um, are just, I I can't find enough good things to say about, about the collective. Like it's been, it's been a pleasure from, from day one to, to work with them. Um, And so as, as we were landing this, we said, what if we signed a long-term partnership with the family um and we created it we're going to create a brand um what would like what would that look like and what would it be based on and, and how would we work together and what, like what, what role would we all play and it, it was new it was new for, for for that family at the time for sure um new for for Abercrombie at the time um and it ended up being like you know we had initial conversations about it and we there was a shared purpose Um, around, uh, you know, just, just building up and bringing positivity to the world and building connections, building community, um, really supporting that, that generation that they are a part of. That was like a big part of the, the brand building process was like, okay, we share values. Like, that's a really important, like all of our brands right now are are purpose-driven, um, and Mm -hmm. and sharing values was, was almost like, okay, good. We share values. Um, the second thing was like, can we do this? Can we build it? Can we build a Gen Z brand? by Gen Z. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And what does that look like? Like, what does a Gen Z brand built for Gen Z look like? So that, that was an interesting building block. Let me say, can we build an inherently social brand? And then, you know, this, this really interesting conversation of like, aren't all brands social? Social is like, I mean, everybody's social, right? Like everybody's yeah. social. Now everybody's like uh metaverse. Now everybody's like digitally socialized in a cryptocurrency. It's, and we were like, Well, how do we make that, we kind of have a unique way in on building a social first brand, you know, like we, we have this incredibly social family that kind of came up through the, through that, like they're living that experience every day. So how do we build a social first brand, um, that, that might like set us apart when it comes to like how we market, how we build things, how we interact with the family. Um, and so we just, we started building all these, these bits and pieces and and it, it just came together incredibly well. Um. And so we, we worked on the the brand and the product and, and the rest of the line for probably five or six months, uh, building out the infrastructure online, building out the experience, building out the app and the, uh, and the, the, the digital UX as part of the Hollis ecosystem. Cause it's so big, I was kind of a, a catalyst of a slingshot to, to, to really throw it into the, to the mainstream and the universe. Um, and then we, you know, now we're, we're, we're six months in, um, and we're, we're moving and optimizing as we go. Charlie is. Um, Charlie and Dixie, the whole family are are they have an amazing eye um, for for product mm-hmm. and for trends. Um, they're evolving so fast. Uh, and we're working with the brand to evolve the brand um, as as they do. Um, and it's opened up all kinds of doors. It's opened up amazing doors. You know, we um I think one of the, you know, what like um we we ended up doing a live TikTok fashion show on Charlie's on page, which uh, on her on her TikTok mm-hmm. channel um and you know i mean it had 1.2 1.3 million uniques i think at the time it was the largest live ever although hard time Whoa. confirming that um <laughs> yeah yeah and it yeah. was you know like we brought this product collection it was the second drop with Charlie and Dixie and they brought their friends uh to the show and then it was it was it was filmed in LA um and it was shoppable so we worked with TikTok to to, uh, use kind of like brand new technology to make the, the fashion show shoppable as, as consumers are coming in and, um, and experiencing it. And it was, it was entertainment and it was product and it was commerce and it was live and it was on Charlie's TikTok And those are the kind of doors that, that, that were opened, you know, by working with such an amazing group yeah. that, that has yeah. such reach. Um, and we kind of feel like that's only the beginning, you know, that's the beginning of like building an inherently social brand that, that can do new things, that can open new doors. So we think we're,
0: I don't know, we think we're really
1: onto something. It's its an—it's an, it's, it's just a super compelling uh, proposition right now.
0: Well, I mean, you, I think you're uniquely positioned to help them do that, right? Which is pretty cool. Just given your, you know, the experience yeah. you've had, yeah. right? In these kind of individually led brands. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking out the time today. I thought it was fascinating. I learned uh, way more than I thought I would. And I know that I am, uh, I think you brought a really unique perspective and, and uh, I don't know, it's just really cool. I'm so glad we got connected through Steve. So I'm going to have to send him, send him uh, some odd collectible that I'm sure he'll like. And then, uh... <laughs> but, um, but really appreciate taking up the time and, uh, and yeah, and uh, excited to see you in the new year. Hopefully we can get together face to face if this, this thing doesn't prevent us. hundred percent. I'm there for it. I really appreciate you uh,
1: having me on and uh, thanks for the questions and the, the conversation. Of course. All right. Bye, Robert. Hit
0: subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com.